Hello, this is Pastor Mo, Senior Pastor at First Baptist Church of Broussard. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to these messages. My hope is that this sermon will be a benefit to your spiritual growth and that you will prayerfully take to heart the contents of this week's message. I also encourage you to pull up the accompanying sermon notes and follow along as you listen. If you have any questions or would like to follow up after the sermon, feel free to contact me or our staff here at First Baptist Broussard. May God bless you as we begin this week's sermon. Well, we continue with our series that we've been in here for about five weeks now. This is week six. Uh, questions that need answering. And we've been addressing various questions, primarily spiritual questions. and Some of them, you know, rather deep and troubling. Uh, last week we looked at why aren't my prayers answered. Well, at least the way I want them to. But we addressed that issue. And today we're going to address another kind of challenging issue it's an honest question, but one, of, one that many of us have a, a little fear to ask. Why do Christians have so many problems? Now, we can understand that there are problems in the world and understand what, you know, lost people, uh, you know, and bad people. But you may have read the book, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? Uh, all of us here have We've gone through struggles and trials and temptations. You've had problems as well as everybody else in the world that's ever existed. Uh, but sometimes we have a tendency to think, well, if I become a Christian, you know, everything should be better. And that, uh, you know, God should, you know, take care of all those things and these problems should kind of go away. Now, God does take away problems and he does protect us. But it's very obvious uh, Unless I'm alone in this. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe you don't have any problems in your life. Man, I'd like to sit down and talk with you. But uh, we all struggle. And sometimes we have a tendency when we come to church to put a little religious mask on. And say, oh, I'm fine. Everything's good. My prayer life's great. Yeah, I'm great. Everything's great. And, in, and underneath you're falling apart. Well, I want you to drop that mask today. I want you to just honestly, let's look at some things about the problems that we face, the, the, the disappointments, the trials, the, the things that just don't work out right, whether it's financial, whether it's relational, health-wise, jobs, you name it. Uh, we deal with these issues. But problems come, and we have that tendency to ask this question. And so did uh, this guy who you can't see here, but this is a prison cell uh, from the time of the Vietnam War. There was a man by the name of uh, Howard Rutledge. I'll make sure I pronounce it right. Yeah, Howard Rutledge. Uh, he was on a, uh, one of the American uh, pilots and planes, and he got shot down in the waters near Vietnam. Well, he was captured, and he spent 10 years, okay, not months, but 10 years in what they call... Uh, uh, Heartbreak Hotel. You probably have heard of the Hanoi Hilton, but this was called the Heartbreak Hotel. And uh, it was a horrendous situation. And the book, I'm not going to go into the details, the book is entitled uh, In the Presence of Mine Enemies, if you're interested in reading that uh, by Howard Rutledge. But uh, the, the details are gruesome. Uh, and I'm not going to go into all that because it would probably would lose our breakfast or our coffee that uh, we've been drinking. But uh, the cell was filthy, 
dirty, smelled worse than a sewer. And he said there were rats as big as small cats that was scraping through there. And he had one little window looking out on the interior. He couldn't even see outside. He said months and months would go by that he would never see outside. And he began to ask this question. I'm a Christian. Why is this happening to me? Why do I have to go through this? You see, he grew up at Nogales Avenue Baptist Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Went to Sunday school, VBS. His family was strong Christians. But unfortunately, in his youth years, which I'm glad to see these youth here, young folks, but a lot of times younger people have a tendency to drift in their teens and young 20s. He began to do that. He went to the military, kind of forgot all his you know, faith. He was still a you know, decent guy, but he was kind of living for the world. Until he found himself trapped in this prison. And he said that I began to think and process that he had heard some preacher somewhere say one long time ago, he says that problems can either press you closer to God or push you farther away. But you make the choice. We must make that choice. So he decided he's going to make a choice to come closer to God. So he began to search in his memory for every Bible verse, every hymn or chorus that he could think of, and then the other prisoners that around would chime in at different times, and they begin to get together these things and decided that he was going to make the best of this problem situation, that he was going to trust in the Lord and believe that, as Romans 8.28 says, all things work together for those who love the Lord and call according to his purpose. I was kind of surprised to see that on a TV show here recently. It's the, the TV show Manifest. It was a story about a plane that got lost somewhere in time. But the mother of one of those had this little pillow that said, all things work together for good. And then the, it kind of comes back through the thing. It's not necessarily a religious show. But it, it, it was interesting to see that, that people kind of focused on that. And that's something he decided to choose that he was going to, to commit to. And so up front, I want to challenge you to realize that God works together for all things for his good and that the problems that you're going through now could be a platform for his ministry and for great things. Now, with that in mind, let's look at John 16, 33. Read it with me, would you please? In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, who's speaking here? Jesus. So, just in case you're wondering why we have problems, it shouldn't be a surprise. If it's a surprise, that's because you haven't read your Bible. So the Bible is very clear. You're going to have problems. We're going to have tribulations. We live in a sinful world. It is going to happen. Jesus had problems, didn't he? He had lots of problems, probably more than most of us. And he was perfect. So we should not be surprised. Now, we can be disappointed but we should not be surprised when we as Christians, which most of us here, there are some of you who are, are still right on the edge and you're waiting for it, and I hope that you'll make that decision today. But those of us here that are Christians, you know, we know deep down, yeah, we know God is good. He answers prayers, and he's there for us. And Yeah, we know he overcame the world. He died on the cross. Uh, but sometimes we have difficulty getting that good cheer in the midst of crisis. 
Rather than good cheer, we often shed tears rather than cheer in what we do. But problems can be, as I mentioned before, a platform for his ministry. John MacArthur, in one of the books he wrote, came up with this, and I just kind of summarized it here. Problems can be, that is, if we have the right proper attitude, predictors. They can help mold our future. How you respond in a crisis situation kind of gives a, 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 an element of your character and how you're going you know, to respond in the future. Problems can be reminders that we are not self-sufficient. We need God and others to help. Problems can be opportunities to pull us out of our rut and cause us to think creatively. Oftentimes we get comfortable in our life, in our job, or our families, or relationships, and we're just comfortable right there. You know, it's good, it's okay. But we sometimes get so comfortable that we just become just living a mediocre life without the vibrancy. Sometimes we need something to shake us up, some changes, some difficulties, some conflicts, things that will help us. They can be opportunities. Problems can also be blessings. They open up doors that we usually do not go through if we truly follow him. They can be lessons that will challenge us to learn from each one. Of course, problems are everywhere. No personal place is excluded. And they are messages and that they warn us about potential disaster. Of course, the bottom line is that all problems are solvable in Christ. Uh, now, it may not be solved in the way that you want it to be. Just like last week I said, your prayers may not be answered in the way that you want them to be. But as I said last week, and I say today, it begins with God, and it ends with God. It's His will be done, not mine. So, when we keep that in mind, it will help us. Now, I'm not saying it's going to just make all your problems go away. It won't. But if you change your spiritual attitude about it, it can make all the difference in the world, and we can do that. Well, today I want to do a brief Read. I'm going to read all the chapters 37 through 50 in Genesis this morning. Just kidding. Uh, I'm going to briefly summarize the story of Joseph. because Most of us know this story pretty well. Now, this is not Joseph and Mary, you know, uh, of the New Testament. This is Joseph of the Old Testament, who was the great-grandson of Abraham. Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob had 12 sons and a daughter, and the 11th one was Joseph. And this was three, 400 years or so before Moses, or close to that time. So we're looking at, you know, between 3,500 and 4,000 years ago, pretty good while back. But Joseph and his family lived in what we know of as Israel today. And they were wealthy. And they were sort of the, uh, the big family, the, the powerhouse of the region. Joseph was the 11th son and happened to be the favorite son. Now, just in case, as a side point, it's never good to, have, to say one child's favorite over the other. It doesn't work for the parents, it doesn't work for the child, and it doesn't it's not bode well for the siblings. So it should be equal love. Now, there may be some connection differences, but he put uh, uh, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel later on, you know, the 12 tribes of Israel or the 12 brothers. Well, actually, two of them are Joseph's sons, but we, we find that connection there. Joseph was favored, and all of you, if you see in the bottom left-hand corner there, if you can see that, that little coat of many colors, uh, probably more like a cloak uh, that he would wear on the outside. 
Everybody wore them back in those days, but they were all kind of bland, you know, bleached brown or, or cream colored, just like any old normal goat would be. But people who were wealthy and prestigious would have multicolored, and it would show out. So obviously, it, he stood out when Joseph stood there in his multicolored outfit and then all the brothers in this drab kind of, you know, looking outfits. Joseph was the pride of his father's eye. And he was the pride of his own eyes, it appeared, as well. He had, and he had some dreams. All, all you know about the dreams he had. A lot of dreams happening, and I was wondering what they were smoking back in those days, but there was a lot of dreaming going on. But he had a dream. And sometimes things come to you that you, you know, you really just need to keep your mouth closed and not share. You need to keep that to yourself. But he just couldn't help himself. He came up to his brothers and said, listen, brothers, I just had a dream where each of us were standing, and they were, each of us had a stack of grain, a big staff of grain growing up. And then all 11 of yours bowed down to mine. What do you think about that? Well, that went over like a sack of brick. And uh, you would thought well, that would be enough. But he opened his mouth again. And this time, Papa Jacob was here and listened. He had already heard the story. So he came in and said, listen to this, Dad, Mom, brothers, I had a dream. And the sun and the moon and 11 stars bowed down before me. And that went over just about as well. They were incensed. Even Papa Jacob was upset. He said, do you really think that your mom and dad are going to bow down before you? And so he dismissed him. But the scripture kind of gives us a little clue. He says, but he began to ponder what this would mean. Well, let's move to 17 years old. Joseph, 17 years old in his fancy coat. He was at home, and all the brothers were out in the fields. Of course, he was at home enjoying the uh, privileges of of uh, being the favorite child. All the boys were out there working. They were taking care of the, of the, the flocks. Well, it kind of took too long. And uh, Papa Jacob said, listen, I'm worried about my boys. Won't you take this food and provisions go out and find them? So he went to where they thought they were checking, but they weren't there, and some other strange guy was there. So, oh, I think they went over there to Dothan. So off he went to Dothan. Now, it's kind of like a flat plane that comes up to a high rise, so they could easily see somebody coming. And they saw Jacob... Joseph coming, and obviously that coat of many colors was just gleaming in the sun. And at a distance that they saw him, the anger overcame them, and the, the majority of them said, I've had enough. It's time to kill him. Let's just kill him, take his coat, tear it in half, pour goat's blood on it, and tell your dad that he got killed by white animals. That'll end his dreaming days. Most of them went along with it. Thankfully, Reuben, the oldest one, said, no, 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 let's not do that. There's a big old deep pit over here. Let's throw him in that. You know, at least our hands won't take his life. So they threw him in the pit, took his coat, and here was Joseph sitting in this pit, abandoned and dejected by his brothers. They were sitting around, drinking whatever they drank in those days and eating whatever they ate in those days, and they heard the jingle jangle of a camel caravan. Coming from out of the land of Midian, there were a group of Ishmaelites. They are well-known traders specifically slave traders. Slave trading has been around since the dawn of time. Every race and every culture and every group has done it, and it's hideous in any time frame. But they, the brother Judah, who Judah is named after, the Jews get their name from him, uh, 
he kind of had money on the mind. He said, listen, let's not kill our brother. Because they'd already started talking about killing him again. He said, let's not kill him. Let's sell him, make some money off of him, and we'll still be free. And we can still take his coat and tear it up and tell Daddy died. And at least it'd be off our blood, his blood won't be on our hands. Great idea. And so they sold him for 20 shekels of pieces of silver. They sat back down, got the coat, tore it up, put the goat blood on it, got their story together, and went back and told that Papa Jacob and your, your favorite son's dead. Of course, he fell apart as they unfortunately had or thought he would. And he came to the conclusion of that and accepted that. Well, meanwhile, back in the uh, Ishmaelite caravan, they made their way into Egypt. And they went to the slave lot, and they put Joseph up for sale. And here he was, the favored child who had been rejected and now being sold as a slave. Or his whole hope was gone. But God was still in control. You see, God works together all things for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Joseph had a calling in his life. He may not quite understood it, but God had a calling in his life. So God made it so that Potiphar, which is the captain of the guard, bought him. And that's a pretty prestigious position. And so he began to work. And obviously, Joseph made a decision. He says, I'm going to make the best of this situation. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to live righteously. I'm going to follow God's plan. I'm going to do what is right. And I'm going to hope for the best. And it paid off. Potiphar put him in charge of the whole household. Now, I, I can imagine that Potiphar was an older guy, a rich, powerful older guy, who often marries young, beautiful women. And, of course, that always sets up, you know, a little bit of a, a problem there. He was gone a lot. But guess who was around a lot? Joseph. And, ladies, this guy would have been up your alley because, I mean, this is literally what it says in the Scripture, that he was handsome and well-built. I mean, he was a hunk. He was, I mean, she was just enamored with him and began to seduce him and tease him and, and try to get him to, to come sleep with her. But he said, no, no, I will not disrespect my God nor my master. And she kept on and kept on and kept on. And he just kept saying no. Well, one day she must have just, I don't know, maybe there was a full moon or something, but she was just overwhelmed with herself. And she just leaped at him and, and kissed him and held on to him and said, sleep with me. And Joseph, thankfully, being a man of integrity, did what you do when temptations come. You flee. You run. So he slipped out of the coat that she had and ran away. And here she was, the wrath of a scorned woman looking at a, at a robe of a man who turned her down. She was incensed, humiliated, but she came up with the idea. She screamed out to the, the guards, and her husband happened to be there, out there, and he came in and says, that Hebrew slave that you brought in here, he accosted me and, and tried to make me sleep with him. You should have him put to death. Well, Potiphar, obviously incensed and disappointed, had Joseph put in prison. But it said in the king's prison. Now, there's a king's prison, and then there's a dungeon, dungeon prison. Now, prison's prison is prison. You know, it's, it's not a place you want to be. But think of this. 
Potiphar, just imagine you. You are the most pow- one of the most powerful men in all of Egypt. You have all the military and all the guard under your control. And one of your houseboys tries to sleep with your wife. Now, what do you think you're going to do? Well, if I wasn't a believer, I would cut his head off and hang him up and show everybody in the world, say, I'm the boss here. Nobody's going to fool with my stuff. But he didn't do that. He just had him put in the king's prison. I can't imagine, just a side note here, that Potiphar was a little wise and realized that his wife had made Google eyes at Joseph for a long time and that she probably had a lot to do with this. So in the prison he went. I don't know how long, several years. But in the prison, just like he had in the the household, he said, I'm going to make the best of this situation. I'm going to live righteously. I'm going to follow God's plan. I'm going to trust. I'm going to do what I need to do. And he did. And the prison guards put him in control of all the prisoners. Took care of all of them. One day, two new prisoners came in. The chief baker and the cupbearer to the pharaoh. They had brought some bad biscuits and some sour wine, probably, and they, they threw him in, in the prison. So they, uh, Joseph began to care for them and watch over them and build a relationship with them and, and do right. And they began to have dreams. Again, I don't know what's, what that was in the air, but they dreamed too. And they woke up and they were just overwhelmed with themselves with, with fear and worry. And Joseph said, what's the matter he said, I just had this horrible dream, this dream. I just don't understand what it is. And then the, the other guy said, yeah, I had a dream too, and I, I don't know what that means. And he says, well, the God that I serve can give me insight. Tell me the dream. So the first one said, well, I saw a branch of grapes, a big vine, which had three big lus- luscious clusters of grapes. And they grew and developed, and I squeezed them into a cup, and I was handing it to Pharaoh. Joseph said, hey, I got good news. Those three branches are for three days. You're going to be back squeezing grape juice. You're going to be back in, your, in the palace again. It's going to be great. He was excited. The chief baker said, oh, I like that one. How about my dream? He said, yeah, I had a dream. I had three baskets on my head with all this nice baked bread and goods that's on, uh, in, inside it. And then the birds came and plucked it away and took it away. Joseph said, ooh, not so good. Three baskets, three days. You will be taken out and cast into the field, and the birds are going to pluck your eyes out. Now, that was not good news. Three days later, exactly what he said happened. Cup barrel, we placed another one out to the birds. Literally to the birds. There. And so... Joseph had said to the cupbearer, said, listen, put in a good word for me when you get to the king. You know how that goes when somebody says they're going to put in a good word for you. Uh, it doesn't always work out so well. He forgot. But eventually, whatever they were smoking came to Pharaoh, and he had a dream, two dreams, actually. And he was just overwhelmed with himself. So he called all his guard in and said, listen, this is my dream. He told it to them. And they just stood there stunned. Uh, duh, duh, I, I, I don't know. And the cupbearer finally said, Oh, king, I'm sorry, I just remembered. There was a guy in the prison who heard my dream and others. He interpreted it and it came exactly true. Maybe he could do it for you. So they said, get that guy. So they went, got Joseph, cleaned him up, shaved him up, brought him in. 
And Pharaoh said, hey, I hear you can interpret dreams. Joseph said, no, but the God I serve does. And so he told him his dream. He said, actually, there's two dreams. The first dream, seven fat cows on the Nile, sitting there fat and sassy. And then seven scrawny, ugly cows came and ate them up. And then he woke up, went back to sleep. He said, I went, woke up, went to sleep. Another dream where seven stalks of grain grew up, luscious grain on it. And then on the other side, seven scrawny, scraggly stalks. And those scraggly stalks ate up the good, healthy. What does that mean? And Joseph said, well, the dreams were one and the same. Seven and seven. The seven healthy cows, seven grains of stalks, or seven years. You would have seven years of extremely abundant crops. But it would be followed by seven years of excruciating famine and drought. And Joseph said, I would encourage you, king, to, to appoint one of your men to oversee this and draw about 20% of everybody's crops, put them in a grain barn, and then when the time comes, you'll have it. Pharaoh said, man, that's a great idea. I wonder who could do it. Joseph, you're the man. He put a ring on him. And so here he was, the boy who went from the pit to the prison and now to the palace. He was second in control. You see, God, if God wants to put you where you need to be, he can. But it's not according to your timetable. It's going to his. You've got to trust in him. So, we find that seven years went by, and it was exactly as it said, abundant bumper crops. And then, boom, it all shut down. No rain. Heat, famine, seven years. Well, that was not only in Egypt, it was also in Israel, well, where Joseph's family was, Jacob and all them. And they began to starve, and they heard that Egypt had food, so he sent ten of the boys. He kept one back. Remember, Joseph was the favorite son. Well, after he was gone, Benjamin, his brother, became the favorite one. He was the baby of the family. And Jacob said, no, I'm holding my baby, but the rest of you boys, you get out there and go get some food. So they went, and obviously they came up to Joseph because he was heading up all the, uh, the administration. Now, this is 20-plus years later, so they didn't know anything about Joseph, but he recognized them immediately, but he didn't say anything. They came up, and, be, and he began to ask questions about the father and the family and all the situation, and, uh, and he was very interested. Now, I don't know exactly what happened, but maybe, you know, he got a little bit of, of little anger or vengeance came up, and he said, listen, I think you boys are spies. You're here to spy. No, no, no. Yes, you're a spy. Into jail. Three days in jail. Now, a little payback sometimes good, I guess. But uh, he had to kind of put them in their place. But he brought them back out and said, okay, if, just to prove you're not spies, you say you have another brother? Here. You leave one brother here as collateral. Take the grain and go back and get your young brother and bring him here. When I see him, then I'll release the rest of the grain and you'll be fine. They said, okay. Off they went. Well, they got, the, got to the father's house, opened their bags, and lo and behold, the money that was supposed to have been paid for was sitting right there on top of every bag. And they were a little uh, concerned about that, but they, they enjoyed it for months or a year, whatever it took. And then they ran out again. Papa Jacob said, listen, boys, go back to Egypt to the grocery store and get some more goods. And they said, no. What? No. Why? 
That man said specifically, you will not see my face again until you bring that younger brother. Now, that's cold language for off with your head if you come here again. So they were not coming back. They convinced, finally Jacob broke down and said, all right, I'm going to send my baby. If he dies, he dies. And off they went. Well, they came. Joseph saw them, was excited and said, hey, let's, uh, now that I've, you've proven yourself, let's come into my palace and let's eat together. So they set them down and the steward, Jacob, uh, Joseph's steward, lined them up by age and set them down. But you see, they had not told them their age. And they kept wondering, how does he know this? And he fed them all a big meal, but to Benjamin, baby Benjamin, his, his favorite brother, five portions more. And so they ate, and they were filled. And then Joseph, all right, take your stuff and go on home. Tell your father, blessed. And off he went. And then he went over to his guy and said, listen, in those bags, put the money back in the top. And here, take this cup of mine, this silver palace cup, and put it in the bag of that youngest one and hide it. So off they went. They were excited. They were, they were excited. Still not knowing that was Joseph, though. They, they just, they, but they were excited for the food, and off they went. Well, they only made it about halfway home when a cloud of dusk and pounding hoofs came after them, and they saw that it was Jake, Joseph's palace guard that had come and arrested them for stealing a silver cup. Now, of course, the brothers knew nothing about it, not even Benjamin, because they hadn't opened their bags. So they brought them all back, and, and they opened up one bag after another from the oldest to the youngest, and where do you think it was? Right there on top of baby Benjamin. All the brothers' hearts sunk as they realized, we had just told the Pharaoh, whoever you find it will be guilty. You can take his life. And then they want to take their words back. And they ask, and they beg, please let us stay. He says, no. You, you must not. You, uh, you stay here. You, he's going to have to be punished. And so they begin to talk among themselves. Now, they were talking in their Aramaic language, and there was an Egyptian interpreter who understood that was telling Joseph. But Joseph understood what they're saying, but they didn't know that. And they were talking among themselves, and one or the other said, I told you we should not have put Joseph in that pit. I tried to tell you not to, but this is our punishment for him. I told you. And Joseph overheard it, and he just kind of overwhelmed. He stepped out, kind of cleaned his face and came back. He says, okay, fellas, this is enough. I can't hold it any longer. I am Joseph, your brother. And I'm sure their faces, what? No, he's dead. He says, no, I am Joseph. And he began to talk about the experiences and all this, and they were overwhelmed and excited. And they were so remorseful about what they had done, but Jacob, Joseph said, listen, you intended harm for me, but God intended good. That reminds us of that passage, all things work together for good to those who love the Lord. So you see, Joseph is a good example of someone who was a, a man of God, who followed God, but had more than one problem, a series of problems and down in the pits, but he always made a choice to go close to God and to draw close to him. So with that in mind, let me briefly, I'm going to just show you four little quick points. They're not going to take long because they're pretty self-evident. 
Suggestions of why many Christians have problems and, and then also what we can learn from Joseph's story. Problems can promote spiritual maturity. If any of you are athletes uh, or any kind of physical exertion, you know that you don't get strong in muscles by sitting there eating Twinkies. You, you know, you just don't do it. You don't, you know, sitting in the bleachers, you know, eating your peanuts and, of course, the rest of the world drinking beer, but hopefully you're not doing that, but drinking your Coke or whatever. That's not going to get you buffed up and strong and well-built as Joseph was. You've got to work for it. And if you live your life sitting in your spiritual easy chair and just come to church and just kind of rocking and enjoying it, you're going to be flabby spiritually. It takes pressure. It takes courage to do that. There is this law called Wolf's, W-O-L-F-F, Wolf's Law. It was developed by a German uh, anatomist and surgeon in the 19th century. It states that in a healthy person or an animal, that they will adapt to the loads upon which it was placed. If loading on a particular bone increases, the bone will remodel itself over time to become stronger to resist that sort of loading. So Wolf's Law is that, if you put it in the spiritual realm, that when problems come, pressures come, and struggles come on us, it can, if we do it right, if we accept God's will, we seek turn our heart to Him, then it will actually strengthen us. It will help us to be more stronger. And one of the passages, I think it's in Psalms 105, 17 18, that the psalmist recounts back. Now, this is several hundred years or a thousand years later when he was writing, writing about Joseph. And he said that Joseph followed the Lord and iron was put into his soul, which is a metaphor for he was strengthened spiritually. He, he, he truly became a man of iron spiritually. So problems can help promote spiritual maturity on your part if you choose to do that. 1 Peter 2, 21, 24 says, For you were called to this, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. For by his wounds we are healed. See, Jesus Christ suffered. And his suffering provided us strength and forgiveness and power in our life, if we will just trust. Secondly, problems can produce integrity. Joseph could have just said, okay, Potiphar's wife, you're a young, beautiful woman. He'll never know. He's always gone. Let's just let's get it on. He could have said that. But he stood by his belief. He, a man of integrity, and he sought to be pure. And he said no. Even as it faced that it was a bad outcome, in our understanding, of being thrown into prison. Stand up for righteousness and truth. Don't let temptations, don't let some man or woman or money or job or website or anything draw you in and tempt you to defile yourself. 
I'm not saying we're never going to fall and ever will sin. But stand strong, stand pure, and trust in the Lord and hold up a righteousness, and it will produce integrity within you. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 says, Though for now for a little while it need be, you have been grieved by various trials, but these trials pr- produce the genuineness of your faith that is more precious than gold that is tested by fire in the glory of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Think of gold dug out of the ground and silver ore dig out of the ground. That's valuable. But imagine you're that piece of ore and they thrust you in this heating, smelting pot. If you could talk, you would scream and say, get me out of here. But what does that heat and pressure bring about in that gold ore and that silver? Purity. Of highest integrity, of quality. God can, through your problems that you've gone through, that you're going through now, and that we all will face in the future, God wants to grow you spiritually, and he wants to purify you with integrity. And then thirdly, problems propagate a sense of dependency. Joseph had been relying on his status as favored son to get him through, but that failed, and he had to trust in the Lord, and he followed through, and it paid attention. And what he did, we need to come to that understanding that you and I are not strong enough on our own. We need to depend upon God. God wants to steal us, to iron us up, to, to give us strength. And then last but not least, problems provide greater opportunities for ministry. Now imagine if jo- Joseph had been pulled out by his brother uh, out of that pit and brought back home and continued to live with his fancy coat and everything like that nature. What You think he would have become second command in Egypt and brought salvation to all his people? So you see, this pit and this prison was necessary for him to get to the palace to where he could do what he needed to do to save his brothers and his family. You see, all the brothers and everybody came back to northern of Egypt and they lived prosperously for hundreds of years. You see, problems are going to come. They're going to come to lost people. and They're going to come to you and I. But these problems can cause you to spiritually mature, to have integrity and purity, to be truly dependent upon the Lord. The scripture says, in my weakness, I am made strong. God's strength can be in you if you trust him. But it all comes down to trusting him and what he needs to do. But sometimes that's challenging because most of us want the crown but not the cross. We want Easter but not Good Friday. We want the gain but not the pain. That's not the way it works and doesn't seem to represent the ways of God. In our lives individually, in our families, in our churches, God can take our problems and make us better if only we cooperate with him. We must make a choice to say, God, in this problem, and any problem that comes up, trouble or trial, I'm going to trust in you. And I believe that you've overcome the world and I'm going to be of good cheer and I'm going to do the best that I can, stay clean, pure, live and obey what I know I need to do until you, in your time and in your way, you pull me out. I trust in you. This verse here, 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4, kind of lays it out. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. You see, if we are, never go through problems and trials, then we'll never receive the comfort and the care and the love of Christ, which then means we don't have any resources to help others. You see, this sermon is not just about you and your problems. It's about everybody else that's around you that may not have the resources you do. But they can see it in you just like they saw it in Joseph. They can see it in you, you can see that hope, that maturity, that integrity, that dependency, and that righteousness. God's going to comfort us. We're going to walk through that valley of the shadow of death. It's going to happen. No matter what. But you see, the good shepherd is there with you to comfort you and guide you. And if you will hold on to his hand, trust in him, live righteously, and do what is right, then God will exalt you in due time. But it be not for your glory, but for his. Because that's what it's all about. Amen? This is Pastor Moak again. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this sermon. Maybe something you've heard in the message or read in the notes has challenged your thinking about your faith. If so, our staff is here to help in whatever way we can. Or if you prefer, check out the Faith Life tab located on our homepage at www.fbcbroussard.com. There you can find answers about salvation, spiritual growth, and getting plugged into a local church. And don't forget to check out the other sermons in this series as well. May God bless you.